Hey everyone, this is George A. Wood, and you are listening to New Numa Godcast with my man Norman, where he brings it raw and real. Check him out here. He's always got the next best conversation going on, but he has it raw and real for you here. Check him out. What's good, New Numa family? Do you subscribe to or believe in what we discuss on New Numa Godcast? If you do, while I got your attention, hit that subscribe button. It'll mean a lot to us. Peace. Hey, this is Bill Vanderbush, and I want to encourage you to check out my friend Norman Brown and his podcast called New Numa, and you can go to newnuma.com to find it. It's P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A.com. Norman talks about everything from identity to grace to diversity to unity to reconciliation, and his desire really is the same as what's on my heart, and that is to bring people together to be the kingdom of God, to express the love and grace of Jesus here on the earth. I highly encourage you to check out Norman Brown and the new NUMA podcast. And then somebody interrupted my plans by something they did, and then I couldn't do it, whatever it was I was trying to do. So I know for a fact that that's a real reality, that sometimes it's not that you would not have done it. It's just that you couldn't do it because something happened that prevented it. And right. sometimes sometimes I feel like I'm not saying that um, that completely means that just because somebody wanted to do something, that it also means that they are now guilty of it or something. Because sometimes I feel like, you know, the Lord, you know, the Bible says with every temptation he provides a way of escape. So if we know that he provides a way of escape, then, yes, sometimes you might have been in a a situation that was a temptation. You had intended to do it. You were about to do it. But God gave you a way to get out of it. Now, whether you took that way or not, that's a whole other thing. But there was a way that you could have gotten out of that situation. And so... But let me ask you this. Do you feel like that uh, person should apologize? Should what do you feel like okay, that same scenario you said they were wanting to do it, they were planning on doing it, God interrupted their plans. Once they realized, okay, God, you stopped me, you feel like there should still be a, a confession and ask for forgiveness for the plan to do it or for yes. uh, the desire yes. to do it? Yes. Okay. I feel that completely. I know many times I know I wanted to do to somebody. I know I wanted to punch somebody in the face. And if I had an opportunity where it would have been nobody that would have seen it, no cameras around or nothing like that, I would have done it. But I never got a chance to do it because no opportunity came like that. So I just said, you know, Lord, thank you for, you know, preventing that from happening. I ask your forgiveness for even thinking about that, for planning it, all that kind of stuff. And that's why, like, I recommend that people, you know, they talk about um, sins that they did. Well, I believe that we should also ask forgiveness for sins that we omitted in the sense of we know that we were about to do it, we wanted to do it or whatever, but we just didn't do it. And it was because yeah. something came up or whatever. So in that sense, we need to ask God to forgive us for even wanting to do it and you know, having the desire that if it 
it had been presented to us that we would have done it. So I believe that's also as valid. And, you know, I think it's no different than, well, I don't know. It's kind of like, let's just say like this. If I have a wife and I intended to take her out to a very expensive restaurant, but then later on she made me mad and I said, you know what, I'm just going to take her to a freaking street truck, you know, and and buy her a sandwich, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So we now change our mind because we got mad about something. But we intended to initially take them somewhere really nice. We were going to dress up nice, whatever, and um, and really have a nice romantic evening or whatever. But I changed that all because of my attitude and because I got upset about something that happened. So in that sense, it's almost like I should at some point go to her and probably tell her, listen, I'm sorry, uh, about, you know, how I got upset with you and whatnot. And, you know, and I ended up not taking you to this restaurant. I ask your forgiveness for that. I shouldn't have acted that way. I believe that in that sense, that's something that we owe to our spouse in that situation. Now, I will say that I don't think that it's necessary to do that if the spouse did not know about it. But in that sense, I think that you should still go to God and say, Father, forgive me for having that mindset about things and and changing what I did with her because of how I felt in that moment. You could talk to the Lord about it, but I don't think it's necessary to talk to the wife because I believe that will just cause more problems than you need. Um that's one of the things that I've learned over time. Some things are not worth talking about. Some things you need to leave it alone because it'll cause an open wound or whatever. And um, that's something you don't want. Right. No doubt. And I think that someone might ask the question, well, why do we have to acknowledge if God knows everything, why do we have to acknowledge things that he already knows? But I believe that it's important to acknowledge even so there's one thing to acknowledge is one thing to ask for forgiveness or, and to repent. Uh, those are, you know, three different things. But I think acknowledgement is important because the reason why he set up acknowledgement is so that we could come into alignment with his mind, that we would take on his mind and come into agreement with how he thinks about things. So if we never acknowledge something. We, we know he knows it. But when we acknowledge it, it's saying, okay, I know you know it. And, and But at the same time, I'm acknowledging that this is not your will, this is not your way. So first let me acknowledge the sin. Now um, let me also confess the fact that I know that I was wrong in it, you know, and then when I'm repenting, I'm turning from that mindset, from that way of thinking, you know, and I'm saying that my my move is to not go into that anymore. And some people stop at one of those stages. They'll not acknowledge all day long. Oh, Father, forgive me. They'll even try to say stuff like, yo, I'm about to sin, Lord, I'm sorry. Like, they just acknowledge what they're about to do, but there's no, there's no remorse. There's no, um, there's not a repentant heart. And then, you know, 
or they might acknowledge it and say, and I'm going to confess my sins, and they confess it, whatever, uh, but then they don't make a decision to turn away from it. And I, I believe that even when you say you repent, you turn away, you're making a decision to turn away. It doesn't mean that you're going to always be perfect in everything, but you're you're making a decision. So those are things that are needed. And if we say we want to grow in him, we want to become more like him. We want to be Christ-like. We're saying, you know, people are saying, I'm Christian, I'm Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, but if we don't have moments where we say, I am actually acknowledging that this corruption is here and I'm turning away from it, then it's just lip service, and you know, and we can do a lot of things in his name. And he can say, still say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you because you're just working your iniquity and then putting my name on stuff, or you're just trying to do both. You're being double-minded. So I think all those things are important when we're talking about sin. And one last thing I'll say about that, I don't believe that we should be have a, a sin consciousness in terms of I'm always thinking about what sin I did or I did this sin or whatever. I think if we focus on righteousness and focus on wisdom, focus on doing right, um, if that's our focus, we're going to do right more often. But if we're always focusing on sin, we're probably going to sin more often because it's always on our mind. But when we do come to grips with the fact that we've fallen short, then we need to go ahead and, and give it up and do a quick repentance and keep it moving. You know, you brought out a good point. Um, for one, for a person to know that they were going to do something and to then come to a point where they say, Father, um, forgive me for that which was in my heart earlier to do. Um, that is something that is part of God getting to know us. People have read the scripture where it says, Lord, Lord, have I not done this in your name and that and this and the third or whatever? And yet um, it said, um, he said, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That's very deep. When if, if a person were to hear that. They could talk about all the things that they supposedly did in the name of the Lord. But then God says, I never knew you. You are a worker of iniquity. And like you said, and this is going to bring in, this is going to segue right into our discussion about iniquity. You brought up something earlier about you believe iniquity existed before that incident in the garden. And you're exactly right. And I'm going to show you where it started. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of your tablets and of your pipes was prepared in you in the day that you were created. You are the anointed cherub that covers and I set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. So then it says, 
by the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. You have defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of you. It shall devour you, and I will bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. So that shows, you know, iniquity coming into being. And I believe that that is why what happened in the Garden of Eden happened. You know, um, Satan comes with his defiled and uh, wicked ways of thinking and whatnot, and he's in a situation where he's on earth now. He no longer can be where God is. He's on earth. So now he wants to try to corrupt man, which is the image of God image and likeness of God. So he wants to defile them so they could be like him. And now he brings that into that situation to try to change the whole trajectory of the human human uh, race. So, yeah, I, I would say that that is a strong evidence of what you were talking about. Yeah, no doubt. You know, he he brought he brought the iniquity down, and he trafficked it. He's he's working it. And so, when we think about iniquity, we think about in. If 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 anybody's thinking about how do I separate, you know, sin, transgressions, or iniquity, that's what's within. And then when you sin, that that is a work of iniquity. It's the work. It's the outward thing that you do to manifest the iniquity that's in you. So, but the iniquity is the corruption or the perversion of that which um, God had made, and it's something that's off, it's bent, it's wrong, it's an error, it's iniquity, but then you actually act on that iniquity and commit a sin. And then depending on the type of sin, it could be a trespass or a transgression. And so there's, um, there's a differences there with iniquity, and iniquity if the only way you can get rid of iniquity, and in Satan's case, he couldn't do it. He he doesn't qualify to do it. But the only way a person could get rid of iniquity is to become a new creation. You, you know, you can't get rid of iniquity just by trying to do better and trying to do right. You have to become a new a new creation, um, and then you can you can um reverse or you can begin to no longer sin or stop sinning a person that has iniquity which is anybody that's born in born in the flesh can't stop sinning you know uh, i think one of the, was was it john that says anybody say that he um has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him yeah he, that you was can't what, stop. yeah go ahead wasn't that john that was that was I kind of brought that up earlier, but I didn't say it exactly the way you said it just now. Yeah, yeah, I think it was John. And yeah, so is it, you know, you there's sin there that's present, and so sometimes when the scripture refers to sin, depending on the context, 
it might be talking about what other passages that correlate. It's talking about iniquity. Sometimes it's talking about the act of sinning, the doing doing an act of sinning. And so we have to, as people, um, be able to separate the two because you can't just, and a lot of people believe this, I'm just going to do, I'm going to try to, you know, follow the Torah, Torah only believers. I'm going to follow the law, and that's what's going to get me in. And we, we just went through a whole list of different laws that we, and we talked about keeping the commandments. But you can't even keep the commandments if you don't have the, you can't keep the law if you don't have the spirit of the law in you. And so you have to first deal with your iniquity, which only can be done by submitting to the Lordship of Christ. But then after that, then you can deal with how Paul was saying, hey, now that I'm a new creation, it's not I that sins, but sin that dwells in me. And so he, he identifies two eyes or two, two natures that are, that are warring against each other. Now you can actually war against the sin nature in, that's there because there's a new nature there. But if you haven't come into Christ, there's no way, I don't care how you try, how good you think you are, you're going to always fall short. So we have to deal with the iniquity uh, and become new creations. Then we can address the maybe our habits and some of the old things that haven't fallen off from the old man. So I was hoping that you could break down the differences between transgression, iniquity, wickedness, you know, those things that you brought up, if, if you don't mind or if you think that that's not going too deep. Uh, no, no, that's not going too deep. I mean, <clears throat> I kind of just said it in passing without going to the, because I, I don't have access to pull it up right now. But if, if we talk about iniquity, that's dealing with the nature of a person, the corrupt nature. That's, that's even, that's like a baby born into this world who hasn't committed any sins, but yet has iniquity in their nature. That's, something inherent of all people who are who are born into this natural world uh, under a fallen world and into a corrupt nature so that iniquity is there even if you don't do anything the the um desires the will to do wrong is all in there like you were talking about the intentions of the heart the the heart motive the motivation selfishness all that's in a baby all that stuff it's present when they come out. It's just living for self. That's there. But then you actually have, it's all kind of sins. There's different types of sins, but a sin is, well, we kind of reduce it to missing, we'll say missing the mark, falling short. But the law tells us that, you know, anything that that um, is against what God's will is, that is a sin. That that is missing his mark or missing his ideal, missing his standard. So it's it's an act of sin. Now we get into when we get into the transgressions, we would really have to look that up as far as the different different types of sins like transgressions, trespasses. Um, I believe that a trespass or a transgression. Um, we would say that trans. Wouldn't you say transgression? Transgression is to violate the law or um i have to go back i don't want to freak yeah, it out yeah we have to i, I would say that yeah yeah transgressors you know violating the law but trespass is you stepping into a cross over into a place that you don't have jurisdiction in or is out of your boundary 
So it's a lot of different types of sins that we could go into, but I think the the main category distinctions is iniquity and sin. So iniquity will, being in and sin being an action. But break it down. So I wanna I wanna kind of bring a little more uh balance to it or clarity because trespass when you look it up in the old testament um it also can mean the same as transgression it depends on where you find it like there's some words that say trespass but they actually are the same hebrew word that's used to mean transgression so exactly so okay H sixty five eighty eight is where I find it. Um, that's uh, translated as trans trespass, but it's also <laughs> translated as transgression as well. So there are, but there is a um, there is another trespass um, also that is is translated as trespass, but it also could be translated as guilt. Um, and then it's talking about a um, a sin offering. And so it's in Leviticus 5, and it says, uh, verse 7, And if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord. So that word trespass is H817. So that's, well, Hebrew word H817. I mean, Hebrew word eight one seven, so um, and that's, that's a trespass against God. Yeah, but there so, are also aren't there also trespasses against man? Where you trespass against? Uh, well, we, we a, know that there person? are. Yeah, we know that there are because in the New Testament, when we see uh, the sin that I mean the uh, the prayer that Jesus prayed said, "Forgive those who trespass against us." You know, I mean, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. So, yeah. Okay. That's another um, version of that. So, yeah. Um, but there uh, in the Leviticus, okay, so here's the one that you were talking about. And so it's in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 2, and it says, if a soul sin." and commit a trespass against the Lord and and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship or in a thing taken away by violence or has deceived his neighbor, then it says, or have found that which was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any of all these that a man does sinning therein. Then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away or the thing which he has deceitfully gotten or that which was delivered him to keep or the lost thing which he found. So um, then it says, or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle and shall add the fifth part more thereto and give it, unto him to whom it appertains, appertains in the day of his trespass offering. So in other words, he's paying back that person um, uh, that's 20% more 
on top of what he stole from that person. Yeah. So and that would um, that would wouldn't that go into retribution? That's yeah, retribution. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but the bottom the bottom line is that word trespass there in verse two is um, the Hebrew word forty six oh four, which is mahal or mal maal, which means treachery or falsehood, grievously sore. And it can also be translated as transgression, but that's a different type of transgression. It's a treacherous act, unfaithful or treacherous act. So even that shows another level of a sin against somebody. That's not the same as, you know, I don't know, um, I smacked you in the face. That's you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, this is like saying I did something and it was with violence. It's like saying on robbery. You know, you robbed somebody with a weapon and you took what was theirs. So that was a treacherous act against them. And um, so yeah, that's a different type of trespass right there. So that's yeah, good. Man. I'm glad you brought that out. That's good, and I think that speaks to the point that. You know, some of the some of the words translated might um, you have to go to the Hebrew to know the nuances of it. But we could just say when we say sins, we're talking about a plethora of different types of things. It could be all different types of sins, and they may be they may all be a trans, trespass or a transgression against God. But then it might be called something else against man, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, because that can go, it can go real, we can get real technical about the different things, but I think that as the Lord, because there's another thing I wanted to bring out is that the scripture talks about how the people, um, who receive the law and do the law, it talks about them being justified by the law, but then it talks about how the people who have not received the law but yet they still do the law, not because of, they know the law, but they do the law naturally. It says that they will also, it says something about their conscience. It says that um, they are justified without the law, um, but there's a, there's a, um, there are law unto themselves because of their conscience. And that speaks to what you were talking about earlier. There's some people that never receive all the commandments. I think it's like over 613 laws and or, or, or receive the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses and that kind of stuff. But there is a law written on men's conscience. And um, they may not know everything. They may not have everything. But this, but God is basically saying the law is the standard whether you know it or not. But there are people who are actually doing what this, what is in the law, the principles of the law, without even knowing the law uh, because of their conscience so that no one is without excuse because no one is going to be able to say, well, I never heard about Moses. I never heard about whatever, but I've written some basic general universal principles in your heart, you know, and those are the things you violated those things. And you knew, like you were saying, you knew they were wrong. You may not even know how you knew they were wrong, but you knew they were wrong uh, because I etched them in humanity's heart. 
and you're going to have to contend with that. Because a lot of times people like to make up these scenarios about what about the person that never heard the gospel or the person in, in Timbuktu somewhere that never, but yet uh-huh. at the same time they're still going to be judged based on the law that was written on their conscience. And we can't exactly. put people in heaven or hell, but God is going to be able to know what he wrote on their conscience and what they obeyed and disobeyed. Exactly. And you know, that's an interesting thing that I just thought about. When you talk about the um, the law and how, you know, people know it intrinsically, um, there is a certain level of, like, let's, like, for instance, let's just say when it comes down to a man and his woman, nobody... Nobody had to say to a guy, a thug on the streets, you know, the Bible says, you know, you shall not have another man's wife or something like that. Nobody has to know that the Bible said it because there's a code that goes with those people. They know you don't violate my woman, I don't violate yours. That's the kind of thing that ends in death for a lot of those dudes. That's what they murder each other over. They murder each other over things like you slept with my woman, you 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 violated or whatever. You you violated our um, trust, so now you know we're gonna do this to you. You know what I'm saying? Like you stole from us, so now we're gonna kill you. Or whatever. That kind of stuff is in the streets, and that has nothing to do with them reading the Bible. But like you said, it's in their conscience. It's in their hearts to know certain things are not right. Certain things are just completely out of line, off limits, whatever. And you just don't do them. So, again, it goes to your point. We do have certain things in our heart already to where we know when certain things are wrong. And we might not know all the minutia of details of the law. Now, I find it interesting that sometimes, you know, like um, there's people that are police officers or whatever, they'll say certain things like uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And they typically try to do that when it comes to, like, speeding tickets and things like that. I mean, it's one thing. They wouldn't say that if you were, like, if you murdered somebody. They would be like, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Like, <laughs> you know you shouldn't be murdering nobody. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you don't, you don't have the right to be taking somebody's life like that. But then there's a situation where you're defending yourself, and then you happen to murder somebody in the process. But that murder wasn't in the sense of, a malicious, I'm going to kill you type of thing. It was in the sense, I'm, I'm defending my family. And if you have to die for me to defend my family, that's what it is. Those are two different things and two different types of reasons for the action. So, again, this goes to what we've been talking about this whole time. What is your intention? What is the motive? What's behind what you did? Was this planned out? Was it premeditated? You could have premeditated stealing something from somebody, or it could have been on a spot where you saw something and you was like, you just grabbed it. One is a different thing than the other, even though the ultimate thing is the thing was stolen. But one was not premeditated. The other one was was premeditated. But, however, the thing is, is that 
you know, there's levels to, again, to how God views various uh, things that we do and how we think. And, again, you know, like you said earlier, if a man is looking upon a woman lusting in his heart after her, he's committed adultery in his heart. So when God is saying that, he is not saying that that's that's all there is to it. He's saying that's where it starts. And you've done it in your heart, and now all you need is an opportunity, and you might, you probably do it naturally. Yep, yep, that's good. And I'm I'm glad you brought that out because we can't make it seem like certain things are not natural, you know, especially, you know, I would say even for married men, but I'll just speak on a single man. You're a single man, you know, you you, you like women, and a woman is looking nice and good and smelling good and whatever you see it, and you're like, mm, you know, whatever, that's natural. That's not, that's not, well, sometimes we call us, that's what I was going to say earlier too, sometimes we call things what they're not, and we minimize the things that really are those things. So I want to I go back to the point where we were talking about, even when, in the law where you talked about graven images and, um, and not, not making graven images. So we now sometimes in the body of Christ, we like to call everything an idol. So if a man has a nice car and he likes to clean his car, keep it fresh, whatever. Are you making that car idle? No, that's not what an idol is. Like, don't don't minimize uh, what an idol is just to say something, to try to say something else. So we start calling stuff what they're not when there's real people out here really making real idols. <laughs> and so it's like, don't do that because you're conflating the issue and confusing what the real thing, what the real thing is. It's not like, we are post idolatry we are in a post idolatrous age where there are not people in India and, and and in different places, even America, you know, Buddhists and other people that are making actual graven images. So we we reduce it to stuff like, okay, um this anything. You make your house an idol. You you're making this an idol. No, that's not what that's not what the definition of idol is. And I think we do that with other things too. So We'll take, going back to the example, you take a man who um, uh, sees a woman and is turned on by her. He likes how she looks. And we say, oh, you're lusting. That's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about you seeing a woman and you have a, some kind of natural physical reaction or whatever that's normal that's, that he placed in you for the place of procreation or whatever. And... Now you're lusting. Um, I'm just trying to reinforce the point that it's when you actually put in your mind that I want you. You're coveting after her. If I had an opportunity, I'm going to do it. Matter of fact, let me start making plans, which is why I brought up David and Bathsheba, because we could see how that story played out, and it it actually showed um, from the beginning, from when he looked, to what happened afterwards, and we see the whole story unfold to see what that thing looked like and how it brought about death. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that part out there, too. Don't 
this be labeling everything, everything. And this is why we also distinguish iniquity, sin. We talked about transgression, trespass. Put everything in its right place so you won't be lumping everything together and saying everything is everything. I like that, man. Um, I, I really, you know, I think that that point right there alone probably freed a bunch of men out here. However, I want to make a comment to that. Bring the however. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I know how men can be. And let's just say, for instance, a man sees a woman. And this can happen from a woman to a man too, by the way. So let's not get it twisted and act like only men do this. But, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to say this, the um, phrase, but this, uh, there's a particular movie out there where um, some girl said to another girl, so what, you slipped, tripped, and fell on his blink? <laughs> and, uh, and so, <laughs> like, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> so you were you were definitely planning on doing that. You just... You know, it didn't just happen. It, you planned on doing it. That's why I'm not saying it's the only reason, but I believe that's one of the reasons why adultery is as egregious as it is. Um, obviously, fornication is um, something that God is against, but adultery is like another level. And the reason why is because you have to literally plan out adultery for it to happen. You can't just happen upon somebody and then all of a sudden you just have have adultery, commit adultery, because adultery has to be planned out. It's not something that is just some spur-of-the-moment thing. And I mean, you know, maybe there's some kind of odd, rare scenario where it is a unplanned thing and somebody was really attracted to somebody else and they just acted on their attraction, both of them towards each other, and they just did it. But that's rare. Most of the time, adultery has to be planned out. It has to be something that a person intentionally chose a certain place, location, time, whatever, and, you know, and they were like, this is when we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then it happens. So that's what makes it even more so um, um, egregious, like I said, because it wasn't a simple thing like saying, oh, I I walked to this store and I saw this person and I really liked the way they looked, and and we just – we did something. No, it actually would be like, well, I got the girl's number. Then we started talking on the phone. Then we were really starting to fall for each other. Now we're at a place where I feel like I'm in love with her. She feels like she's in love with me. And and then it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. And it's doing what James said. It started out one way, and then it kept growing and growing, and then it's full grown and it ends in death. And that death could be the end of a marriage, the end of, you know, 
a relationship with your children or whatever the case may be. The point is is that that it's not something that just happens. It's something that takes time for planning and circumstances to be just right for everything to come together for it to happen. So it was a full-blown plan that finally came to the point where you could make it happen. So that's what makes it even more horrible than other things because of how long you had to plan that out. Do you agree? Well, I think that in the in the um in that scenario, yes. Um, you know, we live in a time now where it don't even take people falling in love and whatever. It's a sneaky link. I'm set up a profile. Even like I'm gonna act like I'm single when I'm really married, and this is the same thing, planning whatever. But sometimes it's just, hey, we just gonna hook up and have sex or whatever, and it's not even too much planning in it, but it's still premeditated. But I do agree with the fact that you know the person that's married, they gotta sneak, they gotta do things to you know make sure their spouse don't find out or whatever. Or, or even in the scenarios where that's a whole nother scenario where I was about to talk about swingers, where they just have a lifestyle of adultery with each other and other people. Yeah. But, you know, they people out here wilding out real heavy right now. They, so the, the <laughs> scenario you gave is like the most sanitized. If there was a sanitized version of adultery, yeah. um, it's the most sanitized version. But they out here just, you know, and, and I won't, you know, I'll say this because, I have been delivered and come out of that um, lifestyle of extramarital affairs and that kind of stuff. And I know, you know, it takes a whole lot of other sins that you commit before you even get to that. You're lying, making up all these stories, doing all these different things um, just so that you can hook up with somebody. And not only that, not only lying in general to your spouse, but also lying to the person and giving them false hopes and dreams about what life could be and other things so that they would, you would get them into a place to where they, you know, even though they have their own will, they got to answer to God for themselves, but, you know, seducing other people into this thing because you want to get your rocks off. So, yeah, it's, it's a terrible thing, and it's, 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 very, it's a very offensive thing because of how important marriage is and what it represents. Yeah. So um so basically I um I wanted to now go to the scripture that I mentioned earlier in uh Corinthians about the imagination. Um I wanted to bring that out. So earlier we were talking about how certain things, you know, we think about and we don't act on it. But then it's like other times, you know, um, there are thoughts that we do act upon, and then that's a whole other situation. So in those situations, it's like um, the thoughts came to our mind, and then we were contemplating it, but if we are realizing that, okay, the thought that's coming to my mind is not godly, so I'm checking it right away. 
And then the way that I continue to deal with that issue to make sure it doesn't grow is then I cast it down. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, I'm going to start at verse, I'll start at verse 2. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, so right there, we see that, yeah, there are thoughts that will come to us. But like he said, our warfare is not carnal. We're not dealing with a natural thing when we have warfare. We're warring against spirits. We're warring against thoughts. We're warring against things that are trying to say that they are right and we're wrong. In other words, if I if I, if someone comes up to me and says, "There's nothing wrong with homosexuality," and then I say, "No, the Word of God says, God says it is wrong and it's an abomination," and so that's where we are fighting against thoughts and and excuse me and imagination. So, um, but. When we also have a, a mental warfare where, let's say, we were taught something in school. Like right now, I know that kids all over America are being indoctrinated with this crap about it's okay to be gay. They're being taught that those, those relationships are, are um, normal or okay or whatever. You know, like there's nothing wrong with them. And because of that, kids that even come up in a Christian home are now having conflict in their mind about whether it's right or wrong because they're hearing that it's okay when they go to school and they're having all the explanations given to them, whatever those explanations are. And I think that one of the things that, you know, as parents that have kids in that school age, school age range, they need to start studying and reading any of the books and materials that are being given to kids to make them accept these things or try to make them accept these things because we need to know what we're fighting up against. And right now, like, like for instance, myself, I have one child that's going to be left in school after this year. All of my other children are graduating. Two of my children are graduating this year and one of them already graduated. So I have one more child left in school, and she has four more years in that garbage. So I have to make sure that everything that I am, I'm focusing on her greatly. Now, I also believe that even when it comes to college, which, you know, one of my um, things that I know about college is that they also have a, a kind of way of turning people away from God through their philosophy crap or whatever. They have different types of courses in college that also make people question 
their uh, walk with God and whether this is real or not. Um, so there are many kids that came out of Christian homes that will turn away from God because they went to college and they learned all this other stuff. So I do realize that that's another area. We still have to keep fighting. Even when they go to college, we still have to keep fighting against these spirits. They're trying to steal our kids away from the Lord. So um, this is showing us how we do it in a way. Now, <clears throat> it doesn't completely give you the story because there's other things that uh, the Bible says that help us to see more clearly. So one of the things it says, um, it says wherever things, whatever is pure, whatever is, um, well, I'm, I'm going to read it. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So then it says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. So here we see where it goes from thoughts to actions. And I believe this is giving a, um, a, the um, bringing into how do we cast down imaginations. I believe this speaks to how do we do it. We do it by thinking on things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, and praise. What do you what do you have to say about that? Yeah, um that's that's real good. Um one of the things that we know uh so I'm I'm a boxing fan. I like watching boxing and I like different types of boxing styles and fighters. And we're talking about the weapons of our warfare are not, not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and, and that thing. And so we know we're in a spiritual battle, a spiritual tussle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But when we think about, and I think about boxing, we always call Pacquiao one of those fighters that when he would box uh, Manny Pacquiao, he always ha came with angles. He, he, he wasn't just like a straight fighter. Like he could be falling backwards and still hit you while he's fighting or come from the side or whatever. And I'll say the enemy comes with angles. Like he'll hit you, he'll hit you with, like you talked about in the educational system with the schooling, he'll hit you with the media, he'll hit you with music, you know? And so the parents, as you mentioned, need to be up on what's going on in the curriculums, but they also need to be up on what's coming through Disney and what's coming through, you know, the movies that's being watched like everywhere. We know it's like he invades the arts and has so many, they flooded media and in arts with so many depictions of these these um falsehoods going on and so it's almost like it could be overwhelming if you don't if if you just look and see this is come they try to make it seem like it's more of them than it is it's like this is everywhere and really it's like they they 
are just coming from all these different influential positions and hitting with angles. So I believe to speak to your point about thinking on these, these things, I believe that's why it's very important for a kingdom citizens and, and people of faith to present the counter images, the counter stories, the counter arguments to, to show that, to celebrate what it is to be natural, to celebrate what it is to be godly. And so we can also have that material that we can put in our children's hands, whether it be in comic book form or whether it be uh, a, a show that has been put out to present um, families in the right way um, because they're not just warring like with a dull lecture of saying, hey, homosexuality is cool. Like they're not doing giving dull lectures. They're giving imaginations, stories, storylines. Um, they're, they're invading fantasy, and, you know, and so it's almost like everywhere you look, you can see the enemy trying to make it appealing. And sometimes, and this is a sidebar comment, but it speaks to the, the thinking on these things. Sometimes the, the faith community kind of looks at the arts, the area of arts is like a, not a real serious thing. Like, okay, um, theology, going to seminary, doing these other things, that's important. Going on the mission field, that's really important, but not raising up um, people who will contend for the faith in the area of, of arts. I think it's very important because that's one of the main areas where the enemy gets into their mind at their youth, at that point of imagination, where they're watching cartoons and watching TV shows, and these images, these thoughts are just being planted. So we need to be able to help not only for us to think on these things, but help our children and other people um, help them think the right way and to see it when it's cropping up and to refute it. And I, so I just, my commentary is just that we need to be more creative and, and, and also more um, investigative because there are people that's out there doing it, but they don't have the budgets and money to really be put out there like how Disney can do it and how these other um, um, Hollywood companies can put out so many things. We need to start looking and searching for people who are defending the faith and giving the right presentation and then giving those things as gifts to our children and our family members and letting them get on that because that's going to help them war in their minds because they're going to think about the images that they've seen and their favorite characters and, how they're turning, like even like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, they recreated that. Now they got some something gay in that. And so it's it's like they'll take the things that already have a sentiment in our heart from when we were younger. They'll give the reboot, and because it's a reboot, we'll jump on it. But now it's not the same thing as the old thing. There's something else in it. So it's just I'm just thinking about all of the different ways, how the strategies of how the enemy comes for our minds, but I agree. We definitely need to be on point with that. So I got a lot to say, and one of the things I'm going to say is that, first of all, I'm so tired of having to wonder if when something comes out that, you know, for instance, like you said, the reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 
I wonder, I, I'm tired of having to wonder, are they going to put something gay in there? I'm yep. tired of having to wonder if they're going to twist the nature of a person that wasn't a certain way and then make them another way for this because they keep on trying to push that agenda and appeal to a certain group of people. You know, the thing that really makes me angry about that is where was all this appeal when it came to um, the fact that most movies were that were doing well or whatever were always white people. It was predominantly mm. white. You didn't find that they were like, oh, we, we need to include black people in this, or we need to put other <laughs> ethnic groups in here. We need to uh, make it diverse. Now when you hear the word diverse, I automatically think they're talking about gay and homosexual and lesbian and transgender. They're not talking about yep. diversity of cultures. They're talking about that. So I don't even get I don't get excited when I hear somebody saying we're diverse. That to me is almost an automatic turnoff when I hear that word. <clears throat> but but also what we see in this is that there's a twisting of everything that is in the culture by Satan to make that which could have been good, pure, whatever into something perverted. Yep. The one thing. I'm going to tell you there's like two things that if I see this in America, I'm either going to be moving to another country or I'm just going to be, I don't know what I, I don't know what else I would be doing because it would show the ultimate, like, I don't know how to explain this, but like the ultimate um, perverted mindset of the whole nation and, and its leadership to allow something like this. But if there ever comes a day when they legalize what we call pedophilia or uh, bestiality, my God. I mean, because you know, even now to this day, on the law books, there are books, there are, there are laws against sodomy. Yeah. And, and even sodomites. So for those that don't know what sodomy is or sodomites, it's just another word for gay and gay sex. That's what that is. So <clears throat> the thing is is that we we are now in a place where we have to be worried about that. We have to be concerned about are they going to take it to the next level of depravity in this country? And, I mean, it's probably the last thing that they can do to just completely make America a disgusting place when it comes to the sinful. I mean, it almost makes you rather live in a Muslim country than to live in America. <laughs> mm, that's a statement. I, mean, I mean, think about that. A Muslim country has more righteousness in their laws than we have in America. And that's the freedom of choice. Yeah, it's a freedom of choice that allows people to just do whatever that comes to their mind, however they feel like they want to live. That is the, that is the danger 
and yet the blessing. There's a danger and a blessing that comes with freedom of choice. And this, again, goes back to what I was saying earlier about God's being, God being vulnerable because he has to allow you to go to hell if you want to do it. Yeah, and, I think it brings out – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, you go. I, I think it brings out just the – well, my, my – eschatology uh, worldview of the end times speaks to that many things that we say are future that we can see the spirit of it happening in every generation and it's like to me it's we're living in our modern day Babylon and the full nature of Babylon being revealed and brought out in our time Um, now I don't know that be Terry's a thousand years that it'll even be worse than what it is now. I don't know, but I just know even back in the day they had, they, they had, um, I'm talking about in the day of the apostles and the early believers that they had what they looked at in the debauchery of what Rome was doing and all that. And they saw this Babylonian stuff in the, in the, the Hellenized Jews, um, you know, taking on the mindset of the modern, of the culture and seeing how all the wickedness and they saw, you know, Babylon <laughs> reverting back to old school, the original Babylon. And I just see this is con- this continually showing itself and that he's allowing it to show this is really what's in your heart. And, um, we always think about America like it's going to last forever, and I'm not one of the people that's anti-America. You know, I, I love being a citizen and of this country. But when we think about America in the great scheme of things of other empires and nations, you know, it's still young. And But when we look and see how those empires, why those empires fell and what kind of debauchery was going on, we're saying that if we keep going in this same direction without there being a turn or a revival or some kind of revolution of, of faith, that it's going to basically implode. It's going to show that because of all of these sins piling up, it's like, you know, it makes the nation weaker because our values are weaker. We're making weaker people. We're making people who are just bent on just living out whatever vile and um, depraved fantasies, and it actually weakens the nation and causes it to be destroyed. And so that's what it's, it's moving to. And I think that's why these, this, this discussion about not only individual sin but corporate sins, what it does to a land, and that actually um, brings about another land, I, I mean another nation or another empire or another system to come in and to destroy it. So it even leads to our geopolitics and leads to our, our country's safety. So it can go real deep when we start talking about that. It, it, just, it just weakens us. So, yeah, it's, it's something to be alarmed about. So then you just brought up a great point, man, that I think needs to be also brought up, is that we are, when we look at history, okay, for instance, when we talk about the fall of Babylon or the fall of Rome or whatever, their fall 
was about the fact that, okay, they used to be in a certain place of power and influence or whatever. And then after the fall of that place, they lost their influence and power that they used to have. And I believe that when you think about, like, how God says, you know, promotion doesn't come from the east, west, or the south, but it comes from the Lord, um, we can look at the fact that God might have promoted that nation at a certain time to be the head and the lead or whatever, but then at a certain point because of what they were doing and whatnot, then they lost that. They lost that influence. It didn't necessarily mean the end of the country or whatever. It meant the end of their power position Mm -hmm. and their influence. Because when we look at Italy nowadays, though some would probably argue the point that just because Italy is not quote-unquote strong, that does not negate the power that's within the Vatican. This is true. So (laughs) from from that perspective, yes, it is a difference. There is a difference between Rome and or the Vatican versus Italy, because from what I've studied, the Vatican is a city-state, which means that it is a self-contained entity. Yeah. And uh, so, therefore, it has a separate, it's almost like its own separate type of power structure or whatever from the rest of Italy. Um, So that is one thing. But then, you know, if we say, okay, we compare that, even Greece, you know, same type of thing. And, you know, what's kind of interesting is that Greece supposedly filed bankruptcy as a whole country. It went bankrupt. Yeah, it went bankrupt, but it still exists. It's still around. It ain't like there's no more Greece. People still go there for vacations. They they have certain spots in Greece that cost $5,000 just per day or some crap like that. I heard of this one spot there. It's like either 5000 a day or 10000 a day. I can't remember. But I was like, what? Like, who in the world is paying this kind of money to go here? And and what makes it so special that they charging that kind of money, you know? But it's all about the fact that, you know, people uh, value certain locations or whatever. But the point is, is that uh, even when you look at a country like Iraq, Iraq is the old Babylon, it's just a new name for it. And but here it was, it was somewhat I mean it was alive and you know, I don't know what to how it actually, how to actually explain what the existence of Iraq was, especially when you're talking about Saddam Hussein being there. But it existed and people were there, they were living, doing whatever they were doing. And then at some point America decided to attack it. And then, you know, it everything happened the way it happened. And now to this day, from what I understand, Taliban has come in there and taken over a lot of it. Um, so could that be like the example of the fall of a nation or what? Um, right. 
does that happen with every nation that supposedly falls or loses power? No, it doesn't, because Italy didn't have that happen. Greece didn't have that happen. Um, but they did lose their influence and power. I mean, we could look at the same thing with the Ottoman Empire or the um, the I think his um, Khan Genghis, Genghis Khan and all of them, you know, coming from China and whatnot. They had their their time where they had power and influence and all that, but then at some point they lost it. Um, so. Yes, there are aspects of America losing the same power that it used to have that do bother me. Um, if I, if, I'm going to say it this way. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. I'm not, God hasn't given me any prophetic insight into that. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with America. Many people feel like, you know, Christian principles are going to start to come back to the forefront and override things that's been happening in the country. I would love it if that happens. Do I know that that's going to happen? No, I don't know that. Um, however, it does make me wonder, like, okay, let's just say um, things keep going the way that they seem to be going, which is worse and worse. What does that really mean for America and Americans? Um and does that mean that uh, the world as a whole will think differently about Americans? Or is it going to be one of those situations where, you know, America, it will exist, but it's like the influence or whatever that it used to have under God or under God's grace or whatever you want to call it. Because at this point in time, I don't even know. I just know, like, I've heard some people say the only reason why God hasn't destroyed America is because of the Christians that live here or whatever. You know, it's almost like the whole country is becoming a Sodom and Gomorrah in many ways. Um, but I just don't know if uh, how that is going to affect America if there is a so-called fall of America. I don't know what that means. Does that mean that um, our dollar bill is just not going to be worth that much anymore or what? I mean, I don't know. But um, those are the kind of things that I do concern myself with sometimes, and that also make me wonder if I'm going to one day have to move away from America. I mean, just leave the country and go somewhere else. I don't know. But um, I, I want to yeah, ask it, you one Huh? I was going to say, but it just speaks to the fact that, you know, we used to be the moral um, bulwark or the moral pillar and to basically even feel, and I say used to be moral because there was always some immorality, even with the whole treatment of, with the slavery and all that. So that's, we're not going to make it seem like it was always uh, a more, had real moral high ground, but when it came to some, values, uh, biblical values, they were upheld. Um, and But if we get to a place to where it is just total depravity and everybody in power is just going with, we're just going to go progressively left on everything and progressively anti-Bible, 
it could get real it could get real serious. But I, I wanted to say this, I know you were gonna ask me something, but I wanted to say that when we just think about nine eleven, when that happened, people started rallying back around faith. You didn't hear people focusing on gay stuff, on lesbian stuff, whatever. And the same thing with like COVID. When 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 major disastrous things happen, people start going back to relying on the people of faith to champion them and inspire them out of that. And then what we do is we get comfortable again and revert back to our own lasciviousness, you know. But um, if it comes to a place to where there is no massive outbreak of tragedy and it's just an ongoing onslaught of uh, initiating, you know, how wicked we can be, <laughs> how how perverted we could be, whatever. I believe it. I mean, it could get it could get down to the worst of things. But I believe that that's why God allows for some of these things to happen um, to shake us as a nation because of the believers here. I believe that because of the believers here, it's like we we're holding it and sustaining it together. Um, but if there was a massive exodus of believers, like we can't live in this crazy country no more because they just wilding out. I do believe America would see its end uh, in some kind of way. Like you said, it could still exist, but it would never be what it was and never have the influential power that it had. So um, that's why we, that's why the righteous need to continually um pursue to rule not only in government but in our homes and on and on different spheres so to preserve it because i believe god does have a plan for america to to exemplify what it means for god to actually have have a, a nation that he's blessing with all these different people from all these different nations here to be a blessing and to be inspiring to other nations that are suffering. So we'll see how it goes, though. And we just we pray for not only the peace of Jerusalem, but we pray for um, peace in our land and that we return back to our foundation. So check this out. You made me think about Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bears rule, the people mourn. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how that says that, and um, that word, um, that phrase, "bears rule," is uh, it means to um, have dominion, to reign, to govern, to have power. Now, authority. It says when the righteous are in authority. That's another word, which means to increase. Abundance, plenty, nourish, multiply, store. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So the people rejoice when the the righteous are in a position where there's abundance and all those things that that word means. But when the wicked are in uh, dominion, have dominion, the people mourn. And I think that people don't, uh, they don't really understand what, like when you have all these grievances that you hear about in a country, specifically America right now, that's because they know that wicked people are in rule and they're making all kinds of crazy decisions. 
So they start having all these complaints about them. But yeah, this is this is a very um this is a very deep subject about thoughts, again, imagination, what all this leads to. But all in all, I believe that what we've seen in this in our discussion is that your thoughts matter. And, you know, <laughs> there was something that uh, <laughs> that that, uh, that you brought up, and uh, I don't know if it'll be, I don't know if it should be, you know, brought up at this moment because that'll take us probably to a whole other thing. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? As a man I think thinking, so. <laughs> as a man thinking. <laughs> right. <And it's> not, <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'll leave that one alone. Yeah, um, we'll let the, we'll let that one sit for another day. <laughs> yeah, that's another. That's probably going to be a whole other podcast by itself. But anyway, um, yeah, this is a good discussion, man. Is there anything else that you can think of or that you feel needs to be addressed before we end it? Ah, uh, no, I think I think we covered it. Like you say, your thoughts matter. It's our thoughts, our actions. Uh, all that matters. That, but just I'll just say, ended my final thoughts with that is, um, once again, the Lord, He, you know, His His technology is way more advanced than ours, and so He's not going to just go off DNA, DNA traces. He He can trace the very beginning intent, that small intent of our heart before we even can identify or recognize what it is. And he can trace that all the way back to everything we do or everything we wanted to do and then everything that we didn't do. And he can trace it back. And he's he's a righteous judge, so he's going to judge it all. So that's why we just have to make sure we get right with him, not only in our actions but also in our hearts because he's going to look at it all. And I think that if we view it and understand it like that, we'll be more cognizant to make the right decisions and um, and align ourselves with his will. There's, there is one more thing that did come to me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Or I'll, actually, I'll start at uh, 34. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is something that you and I discussed when we talked about as a man thinks. But we're not. I'm not. We're not going into that. I'm just going to speak on the, what's coming out of the heart. So that word abundance is the word thesaurus in the Greek. And for those that know what a thesaurus is, thesauruses are a book that shows you different words, their meanings, and words that are associated with those words. So it give you synonyms, antonyms, you know, those kind of things. So um, so it's saying out of the abundance, out of the thesaurus of your heart, your mouth speaks. So not only are you going to do certain actions, but you're also going to say certain things. So, for instance, going back to the discussion of, well, let me go to another subject. You see a car that you like, and... You really want it. Okay, let's say it belongs to somebody else, right? Now, this is covetousness. And you're like, man, I really wish I had that car, man. He don't deserve that car. I need that car. I really want that car, man. Hey, 
I could go and pick that car. You know what? Yeah, we're going to go hit him up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, or whatever. And you said yeah. all these things out of your mouth because that's what you're planning to do, and then you act on what you plan to do. So a lot of times our thoughts turn into words, turn into action. So that's the progression of things, the thought, the words, the action. So reading on, verse 36 says, uh, or verse 35 says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now notice it's saying you got a man that's good and then you got a man that's evil. So that means that you can't be partially good and then partially evil. (laughs) You're either going to be one or the other. But then um, verse 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. That's a whole other level right there, that your words are going to also determine what happens. That's good. So we gotta be we gotta be mindful of what we think, what we say, and what we do. That is the crux of this whole discussion. What we do, what we say, and what we think all matter, and they all work together. But I believe it's also kind of like if I am a farmer, I have a seed in my hand, I have a shovel in my hand. I have fertilizer in my hand. If I don't use all of those, then I can't get the seed planted. I mean, it's not going to be successful. Let me say it that way. If you don't shovel, you can't plant the seed. If you don't have fertilizer, you don't have something to help the seed to grow. If you don't have water, you don't have another part to help the seed to grow. So in other words, Each one of those components is going to make that seed grow, but none of those components by themselves will produce anything. So if we have a thought, let's check it right away if it's not godly. Once you check it, you prevent it from being planted. And if you're not speaking words about it, you're not watering it you're not allowing it to grow. So that's the thing. Because when we don't check things, we keep talking about it. And the more you talk about it, the more it grows in your heart and the more you want to do it and the more you plan it towards it, and then it becomes greater and greater. So I think that the lesson to be learned in all of this is that we need to make sure that our hearts are filled with the Word of God, that we are intentionally doing things that the Word of God speaks of, that the Word of God tells us that we should do, um, and that we will intentionally cast down thoughts that are not of God so that we don't act on those thoughts. So with that being said, man, once again, thank you for being in this discussion with me, Terrence. You know I always appreciate you, bro. 
um, we always get a good chop. We get chop. We chop it up really good every time we get together and build. So um, no doubt. So I appreciate you once again, man. So for all those that are listening, thank you again for listening to New Numa Godcast. Thank you for your support. Make sure you leave comments below. Make sure you uh, give us a, a five-star rating if you're on Apple Podcasts. Give us a uh, comment as well that goes with that inspirational comment to get other people to come on to the podcast to listen on this side of things. And um, thank you again for everything. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever social media you're on. Find New Numa on there. Also, you can follow me at Norm the Professor. And Terrence can be found on uh, social media as well. You can look him up under Urban Theist on Instagram and I believe also on Twitter. And then, uh, you know, and then you have a website too, don't you, Terrence? TerrenceFrederick.com. All right, TerrenceFrederick.com. Once again, you've been listening to New Numa Godcast. Peace. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.